This episode is a longer one, but a special one. I had the opportunity to collaborate with Wonder Workshop, the robotics company, and EdWeb to interview Becca Soslin Siegfried, who is a current flight director at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. She was one of the featured team members in Amazon Prime's Goodnight Oppie and got to work with space rovers Spirit and Opportunity. This episode was filmed live. It was a live webinar. So if I mess up, forgive me, I didn't get any redos on this one. You'll also hear at the end of the conversation I have with Becca, the moderator for this webinar, Brian Miller, who is the Senior Director of Global Strategic Outreach at Wonder Workshop. He also was a guest that I had on this podcast, and his episode was awesome. So make sure to go back and give it a listen after this episode. In the video version of this conversation, he gives an awesome introduction at the very beginning and also encourages you to check out the Wonder League Robotics competition, which I also highly recommend as well. This episode you can actually listen to with your family or students, as well as watch the documentary Goodnight Oppie, which we reference throughout the conversation. Even check out the video replay of the interview too. You could show this back with your students because it's a super awesome opportunity, even if you weren't there live. This will all be linked in the show notes so you don't have to remember where to get all this information. I learned so much in this interview, and I am so grateful for this opportunity, and I'm so excited to be able to share this with you today, and I know you're definitely going to enjoy it. Welcome to the Elementary STEM Coach Podcast, a show that'll help you with lesson ideas, systems, and actionable tips to apply to your classroom. I am your host, Naomi Meredith, a former classroom teacher turned current STEM teacher and coach. With over a decade of experience teaching and a master's degree in STEM leadership, I am here to coach you throughout the year to help you gain back more time to create innovative experiences for your students. Grab your earbuds and let's get started. Well, thank you, Brian, for that awesome introduction. You were an excellent MC, but I don't expect anything less. And thank you, Becca, so much for being here today. I know that I was so excited for today. I even wore uh, one of my NASA sweatshirts in honor of you and have some space earrings as well. So very excited. And I know all the kids and schools out there are probably equally as excited It's not very often where you can hear from somebody who works from NASA. So this is a really big moment for a lot of students out there. And shout out to my school um, in Colorado um, and then Cimarron in Colorado as well. Um, But thank you again for being here. Um, So if you wouldn't mind, we got a cool introduction about you, but I want to hear a little bit more about what your role is at NASA and what is the coolest part about your job? Thanks, Naomi. Thank you for having me. And I really look forward to our conversation today. So yes, what I do at NASA. So I actually, I started off at NASA back in 2013 and I started working on the Spirit and Opportunity mission. So Opportunity was my first rover there and I jumped right into mission operations. That's what we call it. And if you can imagine this, imagine a room where there are many desks and at each desk, there's a person that's responsible for a part of creating the rover sequences that day. So we get all the data down from the Mars vehicle through the deep space network. It's a series of antennas placed around the earth. 
and all the data comes in. We see it, we analyze the data, we look at the images, and then we decide based on that what we want to do that day with the rover. And in the room, half the room is scientists, half the room are engineers, and the scientists are saying, hey, we really want to go over to that rock or go down that steep hill because that stuff's really interesting. And the engineers, which is what I do, we have to make sure to keep the rover healthy and safe. So we try and do what the science team wants to do, but a lot of times we have to say, oh, we can't do that, but we can do this instead. And so once we've decided on what we want to do that day, I'm responsible for coming up with a part of the commands that we send to the rover along with other people in the room. And we put those commands together to come up with the recipe of what the rover should do that day. Then we send it up to the rover and let her execute that uh, while we sleep. And then we come in the next day, and she sends down all the data and we repeat the process. So it sounds like there's a ton of collaboration in your job, which is super important for all you kids out there. Um, but it sounds like there's a lot of high energy too with your job as well. You have all of these different roles. I can see the excitement in your face as well. That is just a very exciting job. And I'm sure there's a lot of things that happen that you don't expect, which we might get into in a little bit. Um, so for the kids out there who don't know what a space rover is, it's a little bit different than the robots they might have in their classroom. So they might have a dash robot in their classroom. But what is exactly what a space rover is? And then tell us a little bit more about Spirit and Opportunity, the little twins, um, and what makes them so special. Yeah, sure. So when we develop robots to send to other planets, it's really important that we try and make them as human-like as possible. And that's because as humans and as there are scientists out there, special scientists called geologists, and geologists look at rocks and try and answer questions about the planet. So we have Martian geologists, and we want to make the rovers as human-like as possible so we can literally get down and look with a little microscope at what the rocks were like a human would do or use... So we need to use hands. We need to be able to rover, like move around on the planet. We need to be able to see. So the robots look a lot like people. We actually have two cameras, like a pair of cameras for all the cameras that we have on the vehicle. There's two of them. And what that allows us to do, much like our eyes as human beings, we use two to have depth perception. So we know how far away a rock is. That's really important. We have an arm to be able to, like I was saying, look at things or pick things up or scoop things. Um, and we also have six wheels, like our legs, that let us rove around on the planet. So that's why they're special. They act a lot like humans because we need a human-like thing to be on these planets to help us investigate and answer the questions that we have. And what makes Spirit and Opportunity so special? So history of rovers. So we, we sent a Martian rover, Sojourner. That was our first Martian rover back in the 90s. And Sojourner was about the shape of a microwave oven. <laughs> and it was really a technology demonstration to figure out, can we send something that can rove around on the planet? And we were able to answer that question. Once we did that, we said, okay, now we know we can rove a rover on Mars. So let's make them bigger and let's build two of them for redundancy. So redundancy means um, to make sure if one fails, we have a backup. So it's like a backup plan. 
So we sent two rovers, two twins, Spirit and Opportunity. So we had a backup plan in case one of them didn't work. They both ended up working. So it was <laughs> awesome because we had two rovers on two different parts of the planet answering different questions. Um, but Spirit and Opportunity's role was really to answer the question, did drinkable water ever exist on Mars? That was because at the time, we our big question is, did life ever exist on Mars? And at the time, we were trying to follow the water, follow the water in the solar system, because as we humans, we need water to survive. In fact, life needs water to survive. Plants, different things you can think about. If things are alive, they need water. So we were searching the solar system for water, and that's what Spirit and Opportunity were trying to do, was follow the water. Then the next rover mission we built was Curiosity. Curiosity was trying to answer, was that water habitable? Was the Martian environment ever habitable? Meaning, could life have existed on Mars? And we were trying to answer that question. And Curiosity was able to answer that question too. And then the final rover that we're at today, it's not the final one, but it's our current rover, the latest one, is Perseverance. And that's actually the mission I work on today. And Perseverance is actually trying to answer did life ever exist on Mars? Ancient life. So we are caching samples and tubes, and I can talk more about what our mission does. Um, but each rover has a mission, a goal, and something that we're trying to get to. And they all are a bit different, really trying to march towards answering the question, did life ever exist on Mars? Well, that's super cool too, because there's, I'm sure you guys are just cheering and you can see all of this in the movie too. Um, Good night, Oppie, and how the rovers work and how they interact. There's just a great depiction of that to really visualize what you're talking about. But I could see why you would be really excited because there's just so much going on and all these different challenges and tasks. And it was really exciting too that um, the twin spirit and opportunity they were beyond successful. They were successful, but then they just kept going and going and going for years, which is you saw them when you were in middle school and then you had the chance to work with opportunity. So amazing to really live out your childhood dream. And not a lot of people say they can do that, but that's so amazing that you got to actually work with opportunity. What surprised you the most when you were working with her? Is she a her? <laughs> Yes, she is a girl. Yeah, so I mean, you hit on it. It's the opportunity, both spirit and opportunity were designed to only last 90 days on the surface. And we thought they were going to only last 90 days because of the amount of dust that we had observed when Sojourner went to Mars. But we had our new best friend, these little dust devils, come by and clean off the solar panels. So they were actually able to last longer and they lasted a lot longer. So Opportunity was only designed for a 90-day mission and she lasted almost 15 years on Mars. So for me, I think what surprised me the biggest is number one, like, holy cow, in eighth grade, Spirit and Opportunity are what inspired me to go into space. I never thought I was going to get to work on them. They were only supposed to last 90 days. Um, so to get to work on opportunity was definitely a dream come true. So I, th I think that was probably, and maybe that's like a cop out answer, but that's probably the thing I was most surprised by. But another thing I learned that I was also surprised by is as the rovers age, there are more problems to solve. And you might first think like, oh, the rovers are aging, there are problems. That's a bad thing. 
But for an engineer, what surprised me the most is like every time we had a problem to solve, every time we got data down and the rover didn't quite do what we wanted her to do, I got really excited, which was a surprising reaction for me. But I realized that I'm an engineer. I like to solve problems. I like to figure out like that's that's how I work. When everything goes well all the time, it's kind of a boring job for an engineer because we don't have any problems to solve. So I think that was another surprising thing for me was uh, the excitement I felt when there was a problem to solve. Okay. You hear that, kids? Problems are a good thing. And Becca has an excellent growth mindset. This is a life skill right here. Look at you. This You are a great example for all the kids watching out there. So that is so good. Um, so with your mission currently, you said you're working on Perseverance. So what are the things that Perseverance is working on? Is it similar to Opportunity or are there some different challenges as well? Yes, Perseverance. So Perseverance for the first time now actually has three mission goals. So, you know, in the past, we've really just aimed for one. But NASA said, you know what? Y'all are doing great with meeting your mission objectives. Let's just throw three in there this time. Why not? So we have three. (laughs) Why not? So we have three objectives. Number one is to try and find ancient life on Mars. So this would be really old past life, not necessarily human or like alien life, but microbial life. So like plant-based, simple life. So we're looking for that. The second goal is to cache samples on Mars to bring them back for a future mission. So we are going in and coring the surface of Mars, all different kinds of rocks and different things that we see. We're putting those in test tubes. We're sealing them up. We're dropping them on the surface. And then Mars sample return. The next Mars mission is already underway, planning out how we're going to go back to Mars, capture those samples, and bring them back to Earth, which is huge. This will be the first time we've ever had like an actual Martian sample in our hands to analyze which when we actually have things here we can analyze, we have, a, we have a lot more instrumentation, a lot more that we can do with those samples instead of what we're limited to on the rover. So that's going to be a big thing to answer the question, did life ever exist on Mars? And the third goal is to prepare for humans. In fact, humans, like all of you out there, because if you look at the timeline of when we're trying to send astronauts to Mars, your generation, everyone in middle school and high school right now, and even elementary school, are the perfect age for the first humans to be on Mars. So we have some instrumentation on board, too, to try and create oxygen. So pulling the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And for those of you who've learned this in science class, carbon dioxide is CO2. So that would be splitting apart the carbon and oxygen molecules where you're just left with oxygen. And oxygen is really important for humans because we use it to breathe, but we also use it if we combine a hydrogen molecule on there, we can have water. So um, oxygen is really important. Uh, That's an example of one of the instruments we're using to help us prepare for humans on Mars. That's super amazing. And I love how you guys just added on more challenges and see how it goes. How long has um, she been up there already? Yeah, so she has been up there officially as of like a few days ago, one Martian year, which is about two Earth years. So on February 18th, 2023, coming up in about a month, she will have been up there for two Earth years, which is awesome. 
Yeah, that's so good. So some of you might have even watched the launch of when she got sent up there because that wasn't very long ago. So some of you might even know when that happened. (laughs) Thinking about all the tests that uh, these rovers do, do you have to do any testing here on Earth to make sure that they're working correctly? And how do you test them? Because (laughs) they're not on Mars. So how do you know that they actually are going to do what they're supposed to do when they're far away from you? You don't have anybody you can send to go fix the rover if they they have to solve it themselves. So how do you test what they do here on Earth? Naomi, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked it. We actually build another version of the rover. Um, So with Spirit and Opportunity, we had a third rover. And with Perseverance, we have a second rover. And that's the Earth version of the rovers. So if you saw one, which I have a picture of somewhere, but um, you can also Google it. Um, We have, I mean, it looks exactly like Perseverance on Earth. And we have what we call the Mars Yard at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, where it looks a lot like Mars. And so if we're ever in a situation where it's the first time we're doing something or we're in an anomaly situation, not like a, a a a problematic situation, we will recreate what's going on on Mars on Earth. And we'll have the rover on the ready. And anything that we're about to send to Mars, we'll do it on the Earth test bed first on the rover on Earth to make sure that what we're about to send to Mars is actually going to work. So we, we do that all the time. The test bed is like constantly active, testing out different things. But we also make sure we build the rovers knowing that we can't repair something. So, for example, if you notice on the rovers, we don't have rubber tires on the on the wheels. One reason for that is number 1 it's really cold on Mars, so when rubber gets really cold it can break and if we went over a rock and we had a flat tire, mm-hmm. there's no way we can do anything about it. So, they're made of metal. They literally just rove on metal wheels. And so we we think through these things and we build the rovers in a way knowing that we won't be able to fix anything, so we try and make them really robust. So in the movie, they um, showed, I wonder if it was that same play yard, but Spirit got stuck up there and you put, uh, was it cake flour on the test wow. field to see how um, Spirit could get unstuck. So you just see all of these scientists just like covered in flour and testing out the robot. So definitely check that out because it's, I mean, you guys figured it out, which is amazing. Yeah, that's exactly right. We we took really close up pictures of the material that was under spirit because on Mars, not everywhere is that cake flower material. Sometimes we're on like pretty rocky terrain or sandy terrain, but this was like really fine stuff that we were in. And that's why we got stuck. So we took really close up pictures so we could re- recreate that material in the test bed. But you're exactly right. In the movie, you get to see the test bed. Now the test bed looks a bit different because we have bigger rovers in there, but it's basically the same the same idea. But it's really fun when you have problems like that to like try and recreate them on Earth is, is a lot of fun. So would you say every day is pretty consistent for you? So what would be a typical day? You're at the office, you're working together as a team, you have a rover up in space. Um, what are most days like? And then do the times actually change? as to when you can explore the data? Yeah, great question. So 
No, not every day is typical. That's one of the things that I really like about my job is every time we drive someplace new, and sometimes we're in the same place for a few days, and maybe those days are pretty typical. But anytime we drive to a new location, it's like a whole new mission because we don't know what's around the corner. That's why we're exploring. We don't know what, what we're going to find. We're very reactive. You know, we, we can't always plan for everything. But a, a typical day as a mission operator would be to, to come into work. We have no idea what we're about to see. Data hits the ground. So I, I kind of talked about this earlier, but data hits the ground. We analyze it. And that analyzing part sometimes takes a while because there are conversations that need to be had with the science team. And there's a lot of back and forth. You kind of see that in the movie too. Um, The engineers and the scientists are always like, you know, having fun conversations with each other. But that is a pretty typical day. And then once we, we have, we're on a time budget. Like we have to radiate the commands to the Mars rover at a certain time because that's the only time she'll be listening for our commands to for the commands and we have a window. We have to make that window. So a lot of times Steve Squires in the movie or the equivalent on Perseverance, our lead scientist has to kind of put their foot down and say, okay, this has been great conversations, but this is what we're doing today because we can't, we don't have time to have any more banter or conversation. And we need, we need that sometimes. We need someone to just step in and make a decision. Um, so that is a pretty typical day. And then Naomi, you asked me another part two of that question and I forgot. So your typical day and then um, your time. So you said the time zone is the time on Mars on the same time zone as us on earth, or does that change things as well? That's exactly what it was. So no, the Martian day is about 24 hours and 40 minutes. So it's pretty close to an earth day. It's only 40 minutes off, but that 40 minutes really is hard for human beings because let's say, so we're, if we're on Mars time, which we are for a good amount of the beginning of the mission, if we're on Mars time and let's say we come in to work at 8 a.m., then the next day we come into work at 8.40, then the next day we come into work at 9.20, then 10 a.m. And it shifts by 40 minutes every day because we're on the rover's time and we radiate the commands up to the rover. Her day starts at the same time on Mars every day. So that that can be really hard on a human being, especially when it's like, okay, now we come in at midnight and then 1240 and then 120 a.m. And especially when you have little kids like I did with Perseverance when we started mission operations, it, you know, kids are, my kids expected me to be there at a certain time. I had a little infant. So um, waking up at night with her and then I had an infant on earth and an infant on Mars and managing all of that uh, got a little crazy. And I'm sure teachers out there that are parents can kind of understand what I'm saying. But yeah, it is, it was uh, a very interesting time in my life trying to keep up with the Martian time being on Mars time. Yeah, that's not a time zone you typically see when you're in the airport when they say it's this time in Denver, this time in New York. They don't typically have it's this time in Mars, but maybe they should. Maybe they should. (laughs) Um, So for kids out there, um, they're probably really pumped and excited and you're inspiring a ton of kids and adults. Um, For any students who want to get into a job like yours or um, into STEM or NASA, what advice do you have for them? There's just so many opportunities out there. There's jobs out there that don't even exist yet. You're, like you said, living out your dream. So what advice do you have for kids 
who want to be like you. Okay, great. So I'm glad you asked this question. First, if if you want to work at NASA, let's just say that's your goal. First, I would sit down and ponder, do you want to do the science side of things or do you want to do the engineering side of things? And to help you answer that, that would be questions like, um, for the science that I want, and maybe you've learned about this in your class, but forming a hypothesis, asking a question, did life ever exist on Mars? Does life exist in the solar system today? Those kinds of questions and looking at data coming from and images and pictures and trying to answer that question. If that really inspires you and like gels with you, then maybe you want to be a scientist or maybe you want to solve problems. You want to take the problems that the scientists or the goals that they're trying to reach and build something that will help them achieve and get that answer. So maybe you, you like putting things together or taking things apart and looking in, in, in the innards of like electronics or something. Or maybe you want to try and something happens with your a computer, your iPad or whatever it is your phone and your, you want to like solve that problem. So those are kind of two different routes you could take to work at NASA. There are actually many, many more, but mm-hmm. those are two general ones. And then what I would encourage is for you to pay attention in math and science classes, really anything STEM related. Mm-hmm. And um, it's okay if you're not good or not great at math and science yet. There are people out there that can help. And I think for me, that was the biggest lesson I learned really not until college. I wish I had learned it earlier. Ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. I was not very good in math, actually. Mm. And people always said, you've got to be good at math and science to be an engineer. That's not true. I wasn't very good at math. I got a tutor. And once I got a tutor and they sat down with me for a whole year and took me step, I had to relearn a lot of stuff. It all of a sudden made sense to me. And then I was able to like keep up with my homework and do well on tests, but it's okay to ask for help. So I think that's another thing. Also doing things like building robots or getting into a robotics club or um, something like that can also really help you try and understand how math and science apply to real world problems like building robots and stuff. So I think all of those things are really helpful to line your pathway to get to NASA. I think that's really, really good advice, and I appreciate your vulnerability, and I love how you also use the word yet. It takes baby steps to get to where you're at and all the things that you've done when you're young, and um, you've made mistakes, and here you are today, and you're still growing as a person, so um, there's always new challenges out there. So um, that is excellent advice for um, any kids who want to get into NASA or even any um, STEM-related jobs out there. So with what you're allowed to talk about, because we know NASA is a very confidential place, but what you're allowed to talk about, is there any cool things that you guys are working on or a project? You talked about perseverance, but anything going on that we should keep our uh, eyes and ears out for? For sure. Yes. So a couple things. The current, most current rover that we have. um, So Curiosity is still roving the planet, doing fantastic science. And then we also have Perseverance, the most current one. Perseverance took a little buddy with her, a helicopter named Ingenuity. Um, So keep your eye out for Ingenuity is still going on. Ingenuity was only supposed to last five flights, the little helicopter, but she is still going on almost two years on the planet. So that's huge. 
keep your eye and ear out for ingenuity and perseverance findings on Mars. That's a, a really, it's really exciting right now what we're seeing on Mars. Um, and then, yeah, keep your eye out for Mars sample return. That's our next mission. We're in the process of designing the mission right now. So it's in the very, very early stages, but it's it's really exciting. And it's going to be probably the a mission leading up to humans on Mars. So all of those things, if you think you want to be an astronaut someday, that's also a really fun project to follow because we're just getting one step closer to that too. Super awesome. Well, we will keep checking that out. Okay, so now those are all the questions from me, but we have a ton of questions from our audience out there, and they are very curious and want to hear what you have to say about these. So I'm going to try to put them in order, but they might not make sense in the order I say them, but we're going to do this together. (laughs) So from Steve Ketty. How much from the original team, so I'm assuming the original team from Spirit and Opportunity still work at NASA? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so a lot of them have retired, <laughs> but pretty pretty recently, I would say, they have started to retire. But Jennifer Trosper is in the movie a lot, and she still works at NASA. I would say probably, I mean, it's hard to to put a number on it, but I would say probably 75% of people still work at NASA. I think what what we find at JPL and NASA is people tend to stick around. I know there are careers Mm -hmm. out there where people jump from job to job a lot, which there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, And staying in a position for about five years is, you know, typical. But at JPL and NASA, people stay around for a really long time. So you'll see that a lot. And I would say, yeah, probably like 75% of the crew, the original crew is still at JPL. Awesome. That's that's really good stats. Wow, it's pretty amazing. Um, okay, so this next one is from Samina, and I apologize if I say your name wrong. And their question was, what did it feel like to be able to see Mars? So when you were at NASA, um, what did it feel like for you when you actually could see Mars through those um, photographs and videos? Oh my gosh, yeah. That, especially when I first started working there, that was like... Um, a giddy moment for me when those images would come down and I was the first person to see these images uh, or our team was, it was a feeling unlike anything I can really describe. And also like coming into work and trying to reorient my brain from earth and then to Mars and like think about all the things I needed to do when I get to work, which was all on another planet. Uh, Yeah. You kind of have to pinch yourself sometimes, but yeah, the feeling's incredible. I'm sure. I mean, it's uncharted territory. And you said Mars is really big. So there's a lot of places that we haven't seen yet. So that's so exciting. All right. This one is kind of similar to a lot of the questions. So do you have to speak a different language to be an astronaut? So that's by Larry A. Yeah. Good question. Um, There are some... So Earth, there are earth languages and then there are robot languages. Um, so let me answer the robotic question first. Mm-hmm. So with the rovers, we actually speak to them in a different language. We speak to them in what we call binary and binary mm-hmm. is really just a series of zeros and ones. And we have computer programs that translate binary, the language we speak to them, to English. Cool. And we do 
talk to, like we start typing in English, um, even for all the instruments that are around the globe, we use English, but we have programs that were written by people to help us translate from English into binary. So the rover speak in binary, if that, that's one question, but to be an astronaut, there are like to be in the international space station. If they are, if they are astronauts that are uh, working heavily with the Russian cosmonauts or the European Space Agency, there are sometimes reasons to speak other languages. But going through the NASA or the astronaut program, they'll tell you and train you appropriately. That's super cool. So I always tell my students that that coding is learning coding languages. You're learning languages. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of opportunities to learn a language. In college, we're required to take a foreign language at the University of Texas. But in engineering, computer programming counted as our foreign language. So we didn't have to take another foreign language. It was our foreign language. Anyway. And it's probably one you wanted to learn anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This one is, this is actually a really good question because the rovers are just hanging up out there. So is it possible for the rover batteries to die? And if so, what happens? And that's from Nicole King. Yeah. So, Nicole, so if you think about your phone, your phone battery needs to get charged, right? So when you say die, we keep a really close eye on the batteries to make sure they don't go all the way to dead. But even if they did, we have ways to charge them. So on Spirit and Opportunity, we had solar panels, so the sun would charge them. But as you saw or might see in the movie, when we have dust storms or reasons why we can't get sun on the solar panels, there is no way to charge the battery. And yes, batteries will die, and that's a <laughs> bad day for the rover. But they do, you know, eventually, sometimes you might find with your phone or your parents' phone or whatever, Eventually, over time, that battery isn't able to hold a charge anymore. The battery itself dies and there's no way to recharge it. And that is what we have found, at least with opportunity and other, that ends up being a, one of the reasons, one of the ways the rovers could stop communicating with us, stop dying is when the battery dies. And the batteries eventually will. They're lithium ion batteries. They're not perfect. They're really great. But um, yeah, they will run out of charge someday. That's pretty amazing spirit and an opportunity. Their batteries lasted a really, really long time to hang out up there on Mars for a long, long time. So they have really good batteries. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. Along with that, um, since they use the sun to recharge, is there any other type of weather on Mars other than dust storms? So that's by Lisa White. Um, great question. So there aren't, there isn't really rain, at least not where the rovers are, because we don't have water moisture in the air. At the pole, I'm saying really, because at the poles is a different story. But the, so yeah, dust storms are a big thing. Wind is a, is a big thing. But other than that, it's usually just pretty sunny because we don't really have clouds or the Martian atmosphere is only 1% of the Earth atmosphere. It's a very, very thin atmosphere. So there's not a lot of, opportunity for there to be more weather than than windstorms and dust storms. So very different, but they're figuring that out for us to get up there. All right. So this one is from Steve Ketty. And um, this he asked, do you still play wake up music? So in the movie, if you guys haven't seen it, the rovers have a song, a wake up song every day. And I'm going to add on to that. Do you have a favorite wake up song? Great. So 
we do still play wake up songs every morning, not on opportunity, unfortunately anymore, but cause she's passed away, but on perseverance, we play a wake up song every morning to wake the team up. And in the role that I was on, on perseverance as a flight director, I was able to pick wake up songs. So I actually picked, well, I picked a lot, but um, there were some of my favorites that I personally picked, but I would say my favorite wake up song, and maybe this is cliche, but personally, my own opinion, my favorite wake up song had to be, I'll be seeing you from Billy Holiday. Aww. And I think a lot of that had to do with, that was our last wake up song on opportunity. And if you haven't seen the movie yet, I really encourage you to watch Goodnight Oppie and you'll see why that would be my personal favorite wake up song. Um, but it was the last wake up song for Opportunity. And it's just a very, and Steve Squires, our lead scientist, he never picked the wake up song, but we let him pick the last one. Um, so I think that will forever always be my favorite because it's such a meaningful, emotional part of my life. Well, and it's really sweet. I got emotional watching that and I felt very connected to the Rovers and the song played and I got emotional. So I can only imagine how you all were feeling when um, that was playing. Okay. So let's get a little positive on this one. Um, so how long does it take to get the Rovers to Mars? And a few classes asked that. So Stephanie B and Jessica H were wondering. Great. So it depends on how the planets are aligned <laughs> and the gravitational pull on uh, the rover trying to get there. But on average, it takes about nine months, eight, seven to nine months to get the rovers to Mars. And so that's like physically getting there, them there. And then you also, we have to communicate with them. So we communicate at the speed of light. And depending on where Earth and Mars are in their orbit, that can be anywhere from like six minutes to 24 minutes of how long it takes for us to get a signal to the rover and back. So, so two different things and not that you asked that particular question, but I just wanted to make sure and point that out. Communicating with the rovers is the speed of light and it's anywhere from six minutes ish to 24 minutes ish, but getting the rovers to the planet physically, we have our propulsion system to help us with that. And that takes anywhere from seven to nine months. Oh, okay. So that's actually probably a lot shorter than a lot of people might have guessed. So that's not terrible. <laughs> no, it's about as long as it takes for a mom to be pregnant and have a baby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some reference for you guys. <laughs> um, have you ever dreamt about traveling to space? So St. Pius X, fifth and sixth graders were wondering, and there's a couple other classes that were wondering that too. Yeah. So I would love to go into space, but I get really homesick. <laughs> I always have. So, and I, I would miss my kid. Like if the question was, would I ever go to Mars? I, the answer would be no, not really, because I love earth. Earth is the best planet and my family is here. And so I would miss them too much if I went to Mars, but I would love to go into space for like a day and come back. And even better, I'd love to take my family and we all go to space for like a day and come back. And just, <laughs> I'd love to see what it's like to be weightless. So yeah. that'd be fun. That would be cool. Do you get um, like motion sick? <laughs> I do. I also get motion sick. Yeah. I would definitely need to take whatever that medicine is to help me not be motion sick. Yeah. Same with me. So I don't know how that would go. I might be here on earth by myself, but we'll see. <laughs> 
Um, so with the Rovers, they have some really cool names, some really inspiring names. And Javier A was wondering, how do you all give the names to the Rovers? Oh, awesome. So there's a naming contest that happens about six months before we launch the Rovers. So keep your eyes out when we have the next Rover launch because we get you guys to help us name the Rovers. Um, we open it up and kids write essays on what they think the Rover's name should be and why. And then our team, we get to read, we split the essays up, but we read through all the essays and pick out our top and then we narrow it down and we finally pick the name for the Rover. So there was a kid named Alex who named Perseverance and his essay was awesome. Um, you can go read it if you go Google his essay entry on the on the internet. But um, yeah, so you guys help us name name the Rovers. That's how they get their names. Oh, did you name Opportunity? Was that you? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, it was another. Well, Clara named Curiosity. I'm trying to remember who named Spirit and Opportunity. But another student, I think she was like in middle school, uh, helps name both Spirit and Opportunity. That's so cool. Okay. Um, speaking of spirit and opportunities, we are last question. There was over 200 questions. So thank you for submitting. So hopefully we answered a bunch of those. So um, our spirit and opportunity or spirit and Oppie going to stay where they are. So they're still up on Mars. Are they going to stay there? And that's from Thomas Hart Academy. Yes, they're going to stay there. They will forever be there until or unless a human goes up there and moves it or brings it back home or something. But we probably won't bring them back home, even if we could, because they're heavy and everything we bring back costs money. But there might be reasons that they try and repair them on the Mars someday or something, but they will forever be where they lie today. <laughs> Hi, guys. This was an awesome conversation. I mean, I've been smiling, like my cheeks hurt. I've been smiling from beginning to end because these kids have asked all the questions that I too wanted to ask. And for those of you that may not have had your answers uh, or your questions answered, I've been watching all the questions come through and I can tell which people have not yet watched Goodnight Oppie because there are so many questions in there that the movie answers for you. So I suggest if you had a question, go back and watch Goodnight Oppie because those questions will will be answered within the movie's time frame. Mm -hmm. And if not, NASA's website has unbelievable information for you as students or teachers to access and use in your classroom. I used to teach fourth grade space um, and I used NASA's website literally for my entire curriculum. So they have so much available for you. So, Becca, I have a question for you. Um, and <laughs> it is um, around the distance that the robots travel in a day. Because I, in the movie, it says mm -hmm. some days the robot has good days. And as the robot aged, it got arthritis, right? Um, and some days it had better days and got far. And in the movie, they make it seem like it was able to get from the one crater to the other in movie magic time in, in three <laughs> yeah. minutes. But in real life, how long does it take for a rover to move in a day or how far can it move within a day usually? Yeah, great question, Brian. So on average, Spirit and Opportunity 
on average would travel about half a football field. If you want to think about it that way, it's like 50 yards ish. We use meters, but let's, we'll do half a football field on a good day, potentially a football field, um, hundred yards. Um, and that's about how fast they can go too. It's their limitation of their, the motors. Perseverance can drive a little faster, but not much faster. So it, that's, that's about how long they, they take to rove on any given day. Very cool. And I, I mean, it's amazing what movies can do to, to speed things up. But in reality, you're all sitting there watching and sending that signal, which takes, as you said, minutes or 24 minutes to get to it to say, okay, do this. And, you know, you guys are doing all your other work that you have to do and watching this all come to life and, and actually happen. So I, I think that that's just so remarkable, the planning stages that go into just what a day's mission looks like, let alone the lifetime of a mission and going from a three-month mission to a 15-year mission, right? I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. And I'm sure it was magic for all of you to continue to push the boundaries of what you were exploring and coming up with new missions on the fly, I guess. I mean, the ultimate mission was to find pH, water, in the existence of Mars, but every day was probably like, okay, what do we want to do with it today? And I loved hearing, like talking about like wanting to do drag races, how fast they could get <laughs> both get from one place to the other. I mean, it's, it's stuff that I, as a, a person on earth would want to do with robots that I had sitting here in, in my room. And you're doing this with robots that are controlled by, you know, NASA. And I think that that is just so much fun. Um, what, what's one of like the, the, the things that really, is like memorable, like a day that was memorable to you, you know, besides obviously like them going to sleep for their final time. Is there anything that stood out as like a memorable moment? Yeah, for sure. So I think for me personally, there was uh, a time and I talk about this in the movie too, but there was a time when opportunity was losing her memory and I happened to be the person appointed to we called it the tiger team lead, but really it was like the, uh, the lead to solve the problem. So I was leading the team to help solve the problem. And we worked really hard to figure out a workaround for opportunity to figure out how to like help with these memory problems. And this part is not talked about in the movie, but it took months from of me going into the test bed, their like version of the Rover and testing different things. I would be calling up people that were on the mission from the very beginning that were in the movie and like the old footage, but aren't on the mission anymore. I'd be calling them up and being like, Tracy Nielsen, like all these people that I had didn't know, but they were like legends in my mind because I saw them on the TV when I was in eighth grade. Um, but I'd be like, I'm going to call Tracy. Oh my gosh. Like she's a legend, but I'd call her up and be like, look, I have this problem. I don't And anyway, they would help me. So I think one of the most memorable times was we came up with a, pro a solution to our problem. Um, and I had tested it in the test bed many times. And then I finally got to implement the solution on the vehicle. And Steve Squires was there and we were waiting for the data to come down and we saw in the data that it worked. And that was like, that was a huge thing for me in my career and just personally, uh, but also getting to report to Steve Squires, Dr. Squires that like, it worked and he was excited. It was just like the best day at work for me probably. But I think that the, my favorite thing about working on the rovers is the fact that 
I work with so many different kinds of people, so many different people, not only like the instruments themselves are from all over the world. Um, so it's like, it pushes our barriers down and our borders down. And we're all like people from France and Norway and whatever countries are coming together for this common goal. And there's no politics and there's no, because we're all really in it to help answer this question. So I love working and learning from people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all cultures. It's really rewarding to go into work every day for that reason. Well, I mean, we thank you for, for doing all this and, and continuing to research and help us learn about our existence here on Earth through other planets. This this was an amazing conversation. I wish it could go for much, much longer, but we know that you have a very busy day ahead of you and other meetings to attend to. Um, Naomi, is there anything that you'd like to say, last thoughts to wrap things up? No, thank you so much for letting me chat with you and just being an inspiration for my own students selfishly, but um, just students around the world because you never know who you're going to impact out there. And just hearing from experts who are in the field, especially a woman in STEM, is just so amazing and powerful. And your story is just super important. And just keep up the awesome work. Thank you so much, Naomi and Brian and everybody that's helped put this together. Um, It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Elementary STEM Coach Podcast. I would love to connect with you over on Instagram at Naomi Meredith underscore or send me an email to elementary STEM coach podcast at gmail.com. Also, make sure to check out my website, NaomiMeredith.com to see all the show notes from today's episode and shop my K-5 STEM resources. Any questions you have, needs for resources, or ideas for episodes, get in touch. I'll talk to you soon.